Hey friend, how are you feeling? I know that there is a lot going on right now and I don't know where you are listening from, but we are all in this together. Obviously, we are many weeks into the coronavirus COVID-19 outbreak epidemic and life is crazy. Life is hard for a lot of people. And so I'm just checking in with you and I just want to see how you're doing. I genuinely mean it when I say I want to hear from you. Shoot me an email. You can email me hello at stillbeingmolly.com. Find me on social media at stillbeingmolly. Shoot me a DM and let me know how you're doing and how I can pray for you or how I can help you in any way, shape, or form. I just want to say thank you for taking time out of your day to (laughs) sit here and listen to this podcast. I know that A lot of times for me, sitting and listening to a podcast or an audiobook is just a nice escape. So I want to hopefully continue to bring encouraging and inspiring content to you throughout these unprecedented times. Um, I'm actually recording this little intro from my office at home again, and it just, it feels, I mean, I'm glad to be at home, but it feels weird if I'm being honest. This interview that you are about to hear was recorded many weeks ago before the outbreak began. So if you are wondering if we (laughs) reference anything to being out or anything like that, just know that this was pre-recorded. Well, I should say that before I go into my formal introduction, I just want you to be thinking. We are communal people by nature. We are meant to live in community. We are meant to be in relationship with one another. And right now, while we're social distancing and while we are, you know, six feet apart from everybody outside of the ones that we live with and while we can't be with our friends and we can't go out and have a party or anything like that, I know that it can feel really strange and you're wondering, you know, what are my relationships going to be like? How am I going to be able to communicate with my friends and not feel distant from them, you know, just by using apps like Zoom or Marco Polo or texting or whatever it is? If you're married, maybe your marriage is is struggling right now because you and your spouse are in really close proximity. And obviously, it's really important to be focusing on those relationships and the people that matter most. And so my conversation with my guest today could not have come at a better time. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Nicole Zazowski, a licensed marriage and family therapist, writer, and speaker. She lives in a small town just outside New York City with her husband, Jimmy, and her son, James. With the vulnerability of your closest friends and the wisdom of your most trusted resource, Nicole reveals her own story of how challenges such as unwanted transition, multiple miscarriages, and crippling anxiety gave her empty hands to receive everything she had been looking for in the presence and person of Jesus Christ. She's also the author of the new book, From Lost to Found, Giving Up What You Think You Want for What Will Set You Free. I loved this conversation and listening back to it over the last uh, week or so has just really ministered to my heart and I know it will to you too. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Nicole. 
Nicole, I am so happy to finally have you on the show after what has felt like many, many months of talking back and forth. And but, you know, I think of that quote or the or the scripture in Esther, like, perhaps we were made for such a time as this. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'm thrilled to be on. Thanks for having me. And I'm glad this finally worked out for us to connect. I know, I know. Well, you, you know, I first heard you on a podcast interview a year or two ago and um, just was really inspired by everything you you shared. And then, you know, I've just continued to kind of follow your work loosely on social media. And now you have a book, like a book baby. You just birthed a book, a book baby. baby, which is amazing. And I just have to like go ahead and just give you a round of applause <laughs> because like I know how much work goes into that. And it's called From Lost to Found, giving up what you think you want for what will set you free. And I basically binge read it in a few days um, a couple of weeks ago and it's wonderful it's such a gift and um, so first I just want to say congratulations on that thank you because I know how much work so much and then second I just want to say thank you for putting it out into the world and um, for the gift of sharing your story with others oh thank you it was my pleasure and God did a lot in my own heart yeah through it so um, I'm very grateful Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Well, before we kind of dive into um, your story and the book and all that kind of stuff, um, just tell us about you. So give us the Nicole 101. Tell us uh, who you are and kind of how you got to where you are today. Sure. So uh, my name is Nicole Zazowski. I am a marriage and family therapist. And mostly that work includes my private practice in Greenwich, Connecticut, just outside New York City. But it also, I am also on staff at an organization called the Hideaway Experience, which takes me down to Georgia about four times a year. Um, and I am a co therapist at a marriage intensive experience, is what the Hideaway Experience is. So it's, uh, we work with four to five couples for four days, and it's, really intense and an intensive is a good word for it, but it's extremely rewarding. So that's my therapy work. Um, and when I'm not doing that, obviously I'm a, a writer. I just published my first book at the end of January from lost to found, like you mentioned. And that's a book that weaves my personal story with my therapy experience and faith journey. Um, so I did not realize that I was personally missing out on the freedom that I was so passionate about helping my clients find for many years. And it wasn't until I confronted my own painful season that I realized um, that I actually had not been practicing any of the things that I encourage my clients to practice. And so the book outlines that journey. And I'm sure we'll get into more details there. And I, my greatest joy is being a wife and mama to my uh, two young boys. I've got my oldest son is going to be four next week. And then I have a three month old. Well, you obviously have so much on your plate, so much in your life. Um, and so I'm just always, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just in awe of, of all that you do. Um, but I, I want to back up a little bit because I'm really, I've always been very curious about this. 
is to people who pursue a career in counseling and um, especially like you're really specialized in the marriage, marriage counseling and being a family therapist. What was it in your life that you were like, yes, this is what I want to do is I want to sit in a room with some couples who are real pissed at each other um, and help them work it out. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, you're not too far off. actually. That's true. Uh, So like, how did, how did you get there? Yeah. So, I mean, I do specialize in working with couples and I feel like family work tends to come in mainly when I'm working with my adolescents. I do see a lot of individuals as well. Um, marriage and family therapy is, is more of a way of looking at a person. It's a way of thinking. So basically I, anybody I see, whether it's an individual, a couple, a family, I just, I've learned to think about them and hear their story in the context of the family they grew up in or um, systems that they're a part of currently. It's just kind of a relational way of thinking. But to answer your question, I studied abroad my entire sophomore year of college. That's just sort of the way my college did it. Um, So 70% of sophomores are actually gone. (laughs) And I lived, it was kind of a unique setup. I lived with 50 other college students from my school in one house. So it was sort of like a co-ed fraternity situation. It was very unique. Very unique. Um, And we had been living with uh, a faculty family also came over with us for that year and lived in the house as well. And I just, I feel like when you're away from your home environment and you're with um, the same group of people for such a long period of time, there's just some really unique conversations that emerge, especially with a bunch of 19 to 20 year olds who are, you know, asking those questions, who am I and what's my purpose in life? And I just loved the depth um, of conversations that I had that year. And I found that I was I sort of became, I mean, my nickname was the house therapist. I sort of became a person people would go to with different struggles. And I I really liked it. I I liked those deep one-on-one conversations. I I would say I've enjoyed those my entire life and I'm kind of an old soul. So it was a natural fit for me in that setting. And the faculty family that went with us happened to be the head of the psychology department at my college. And to this day, she says she's never done this before, but I'm really glad she did because I think it's what I needed. She took me out to coffee at the end of the year. We were about to go back home. And she just said, are you sure you don't want to be a therapist? And it was literally one of those moments where I felt like God just turned the lights on. And it became so obvious and clear to me that, yes, that's what I wanted to do. And I never looked back. I switched my entire schedule and started taking classes in psychology and went straight into uh, my graduate program in marriage and family therapy and really just loved it more and more. It's certainly challenging work. It's an interesting fit for my personality as you read in the book. I really struggle with performance and like to feel adequate and (laughs) know that I am, uh, have what it takes for a given task. And so often in therapy, it's, it's messy, right? It's dealing with people and there's no clear cut answers a lot of the time. 
So I will say it is a job that keeps me tethered to the hope of Christ um, and his strength, because it's like you alluded to, it's certainly not for the faint of heart and not something I could do on my own. Yeah. Absolutely. Now is your, now, I mean, I know that you share this in the book that you and your husband, you moved from California to Connecticut and that was a really tough transition for you at first. Obviously those are two pretty different places in California, different (laughs) cultures, different temperatures, uh, all just different ways of life. And so you've now built, but you, you have built over time a, you know, a successful practice there. Do you, Primarily, do you just meet in person? Like, do you have an office or do you meet virtually with anybody? So the laws around marriage and family therapy are, um, they're kind of interesting. And I think this is probably evolving and I'm certainly not an expert in any of this, but to answer your question, I, I mainly meet in person and that is primarily because depending on where you live, I'm not licensed in other states other than Connecticut. And Mm. the license needs to be where the client is. So Mm. if somebody called me from Iowa, um, I am not licensed in Iowa. So it's not possible for me to have a client in Iowa. Fascinating. Um, I definitely did not know that. (laughs) Yeah, it's very, it's very odd. You would think that they would nationalize it, but so far that's not happened yet. That is crazy. Yeah, I definitely did not know that at all. Now, I also, um, now my listeners obviously know this because this is how I am, but I am one of those people who I tend to ask questions that I just maybe selfishly want to know the answer to. And because I also like to assume that other people want to know the answer. Go for um, it. So as somebody who is a marriage and family therapist and is also married, uh-huh. <laughs> how does that Do the two ever play together? Like, do you ever, like, in your own marriage, sit there and, like, psychoanalyze your own marriage? (laughs) Or has that encouraged, like, you and your husband to seek counseling just as, you know, like, I know a lot of couples who are just like, we go to counseling regularly because it's good for our marriage, not because we're, like, you know, on the verge of divorce or anything. Um, How has that played out in your own marriage? That's a great question. First of all, people sometimes ask me, you know, do you have all the answers? Do you win all the time? And I'm like, absolutely not. If anything, it gets me into more hot water than, <laughs> than not. Um, I have much to learn and I am married to a, a gem. So I think that's the, that's the first thing I would say is it's helpful for me and us to just have a posture of, you know what, we're all learning and growing here in this yeah. life and no one is the expert when it comes to, you know, relationships. And yeah, I've learned a few things at school, but it's an entirely, and through my work with clients, but it's an entirely different thing to apply it to yourself. And the second that I lose touch with how much I need to learn and grow is, you know, the moment that I'm in the biggest trouble. (laughs) Yeah. So yes, uh, my husband is actually somewhat trained is a strong word, but he is for, he is familiar with the model of therapy that I use because my mentors started it. It's called restoration therapy. Mm. And while I was a graduate student at Fuller Seminary, we were living on campus. We had just gotten married. 
we were engaged the first year and then married the second year of my program. And we did, um, like a psychoeducation group. So it wasn't therapy per se, but, uh, we were a part of a group that used this material. And so he is familiar with the way that I work and, I try not to ask my clients to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. So we're working on it with the same model and tools that I use with my clients. That's great. That's great. And that's really encouraging. And um, because I just think, you know, the more that we can not only destigmatize just regular counseling and therapy, but, you know, destigmatizing marriage counseling. And, you know, so often there's just this kind of uh, assumption that if you hear that, oh, somebody is in counseling, then things must be in trouble. You know, and um, that was how I viewed counseling for a really long time and didn't go to counseling until I was in my 30s and had experienced, you know, a second trimester pregnancy loss. And then all of a sudden Mm. I realized that, you know, 30 plus years of grief (laughs) were now manifesting themselves in Mm. and I was like ah you know I should probably I should probably go to counseling and that was the best decision I could have ever made but I wish I'd gone earlier but so much for me in my own head I was just like oh if I go to counseling then it's me admitting that I have a problem Mm -hmm. or that something's wrong with me and I think that similarly in marriage and family counseling if we say like, oh, we're in marriage counseling or, oh, we're in family counseling, then, oh, there's there's a problem. There's something wrong with us when that's not that doesn't have to be the case. No, it doesn't have to be the case. And I have a friend who um, she and her husband are in business together and they have had a marriage counselor and coach for four years. And they wow. just said like they they love it. It's but it's like mm-hmm. vital to their business because they have to be able to communicate together and you know, it's like I was actually my husband and I coincidentally, as we were recording this today is our eight year wedding anniversary. And um, I know. Congratulations. We're the best. Um, Obviously, I know this airs in April, but it's fine. (laughs) Um, But we actually this just past weekend went to our first marriage conference and it was at our church and it was fantastic. But there was one thing in particular that just at this analogy that stuck out to me and it's going to stick with me forever. Um, There was obviously a couple things that really were great. But this particular analogy I just loved because I love analogies. And it's it's very similar to an analogy I would use. And it's that, you know, if you own a car, what do you do regularly? You fill it up with gas. You take it to get the oil changed. You rotate the tires. You change the tires. You you do the 50,000 mile, 100,000 mile checkup, all that kind of stuff. If you don't do that, what happens? Your car starts to break down. Eventually, a wheel's going to get wobbly or the tread's going to run out. Or you could end up on the side of the highway with no oil, no gas, and you're 100 miles from a you know repair shop or a gas station. And like right. suddenly you need help. So why do we take so much effort to maintain our cars, but we don't do the same with our marriages? Like we put our marriages on autopilot and we do nothing to to maintain them to put you know what's the what's the marriage equivalent of like filling it up with gas going on a date night like Mm -hmm. having time alone like what's the equivalent of the 50,000 mile 100,000 mile checkup a week away by yourselves without kids right like 
no excuses. You know, and mm-hmm. I've, I've heard people who are like, mm-hmm. oh, well, we can't. Like, it's too expensive. And I'm like, you know what else is expensive? Divorce. Like, I'm right. just saying. You can't afford not to. Right. And yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So anyway, I could obviously go on a lot about that. But yeah, I just I think it's so important to break down those stigmas. Absolutely. And I think we're getting a little better, but we have a long way to go. One of the first things I usually say to people when I sit down with them for the first time is, look, I'm more human than therapists. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sitting here with, you know, uh, perfection <laughs> and, you know, I with nothing to work on myself. Like, we are all in this journey together. And if I can use what I've learned through my training and, and my work with couples to, to help you along, you know, just know that I need that too in my own life. And you're exactly right that we, and isn't that the way that the enemy works in our lives in general? Like, you know, if you, if you, here's another analogy for you. If you want to, um, plant weeds in your garden, what do you do? You do nothing. Right. <laughs> it the, the weeds don't it's not like you have to be intentional about planting the weeds there that's just what happens when you aren't intentional about the most important relationships right. in your lives right. or personal growth that that weeds start to grow and you know 1 to 2 degrees off early on if you add time to that you know, those boats are pretty far apart. Um, And so I I love hearing your perspective on that. I think it's spot on that maintenance work is the best work we can do when it comes to cultivating health and wholeness in our relationships. Right. right. And then sometimes you got to get that car detailed. You got to buff it up real shiny. You gotta gotta vacuum it out. I don't know where we're going with this analogy now, but I like it. I'm I'm here for it. Okay, I'm gonna take a quick break from my chat with Nicole to share with you the spring summer 2020 collection from Seiko Designs. The spring collection launched a couple of months ago, but the summer collection is launching this month. So there is a lot happening at Seiko Designs. There is a spring sale happening. So many beautiful goods that are fair trade handcrafted and pieces that are going to just absolutely get compliments no matter when or where you wear them. And now, right now, is a time where we should be really looking to shop small, support small businesses, fair trade and ethical businesses, because we know that those artisans, those people, they need jobs. And so by purchasing these beautiful handcrafted fair trade goods, you are helping to provide a job for a woman in need, both overseas and right here in the U.S. So to shop the incredible, incredible collection. Go to SeikoDesigns.com slash Molly Stillman. That's S-S-E-K-O Designs.com slash Molly Stillman. Now back to my conversation with Nicole. Okay. Obviously, I could talk to you about this particular topic for a while, but I want to transition a little bit um, because one of the, um, obviously we could sit and, I mean, you wrote an entire book about your story, so we could really kind of go through (laughs) the different parts. But I just wanted to share, like, as somebody who has experienced two second trimester miscarriages um, Mm. and back to back in a short span. um, Mm. I really resonated with um, spoiler alert for those that haven't read the book where you shared um, about your multiple miscarriages and your Mm. fertility journey. Um, And you shared so honestly about that. And then now obviously here you are on the other side, you know, now you're, you're a mom of uh, two precious uh, babies here on earth and 
you know, just to kind of just could you just kind of share a little bit about that and, and what that journey was like for you, but how it really is woven into the grander narrative um, that you shared in the book? Sure. So um, you mentioned my move across the country that I talk about at the end of the first chapter of the book. Little did I know that was the beginning just the beginning of a season that could largely be characterized by change and loss. Within that season were five miscarriages, two before my first son and three in between my two boys. Um, And while I certainly lost tangible things in that season, including those, um, the chance to meet those five babies, this side of heaven, I believe with all my heart that God is not the author of our suffering, but I also know that he loves us too much to waste it. And what he did through a season of a lot of change and a lot of loss in my life was took my hands off of false securities um, that were promising way more than they could deliver. Uh, but had always sort of quote unquote worked for me um, in terms of feeling valued and safe. And so he took my hands off essentially idols that I had relied on for way too long to feel significant and secure. And I was left empty handed when those things didn't work for me anymore. And that was really painful. Not only was I reeling from the loss of these five precious babies, but also you know, totally unsure of where my identity came from and what was going to make me feel safe. But what I learned in that process was only empty hands are open. And the, you know, Molly, I still, I still wouldn't say that I think I would be brave enough to choose that story for myself. It's not what I would have written for us. um, Had I had the choice, But I also, I ask myself this all the time, would I have preferred to carry on with my comfortable way of living in my false and small idea of who God was and with our, the relationship I had with him at the time was, I thought it was really good, but what I know now is so much more of his character and there's such a deeper intimacy between the two of us. And that has been the biggest gift to me. So you know, those open hands were open to receiving a totally different picture of who God is and a new relationship between the two of us that I don't think I would trade. You know, I say in the book, on the far side or in the midst of pain we don't prefer, we find transformation we would not trade. And that isn't calling that tragedy good, but there's a difference between something being good and something being worked for good. And I think God, the Bible makes that distinction. It's so, so good. And I really like, I said this at the beginning of kind of this, this segment, but I really did resonate so much with that story. And and even more now hearing you kind of explain it a little deeper, um, Mm. really connected with me again, um, because I have said the same thing where, you know, in the two years, you know, 18 months to two years since we experienced our losses, you know, I've had a lot of people that have asked me questions like, oh, well, you know, aren't you mad at God? 
or like, did mm. you, you know, how did you maintain your faith beliefs through that season? Or how did your relationship with God kind of pan out? And in so many ways, like I have said, I'm just like, look, if the question that I struggled with in my losses, and I don't know if you had this same approach, but, you know, I've dealt with with death and loss um, in my life. But this was the first time that I'd ever really walked through it as a believer because I, I didn't mm. become a believer till I was in my mid 20s. And it was, so it was the first time that I'd really, really faced real grief in that opportunity. And so I always felt like God was saying to me, you have two choices. You can either run away from me, which you've done before, or you can run towards me. So it's really your choice. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And and I so I continuously would I, it's not that I would get mad at God or even really question him. It was more a matter of. I kept looking like sometimes I would literally look up at the sky and just be like, mm. what are you trying to teach me here? Like, yeah. What what is the purpose of this? Mm-hmm. And I think that I mean, not I think really now 18 months to two years kind of removed from it. I have kind of come to that that piece that, you know, the as we read in Philippians, like the peace that surpasses all understanding um, that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus like that to me is what I learned is finding my peace and my identity in him and not in in my role as a mom, not in my role working or anything like that. And so like if the only thing that comes out of that grief and that tragedy is that my relationship with Jesus is is closer and stronger and that I have a peace that surpasses all understanding, then so be it. Mm-hmm. Like then so be it. It's not that I, again, like you, exactly like you said, it's not that I would choose it, but the relationship that I have with Christ right now versus the relationship I had, you know, two years ago prior to our our loss, like I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. And it's such a bizarre thing to say for for most people looking on the outside, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, it's such a, um, it's such a nuanced thing because like you said, I don't think, you know, God is throwing these lightning bolts of suffering down (laughs) into any of our lives. I think that this world is a broken place and it's a painful place. And, you know, it says in God's word, you will have trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, not you might, but you will. Um, but he also said he's bigger than that trouble. Um, I have overcome it. And, I think that is the the hope I continued to lean into. And this is just what you were saying, you know, that, that our hope is not necessarily in what God can do for us, but in us and that he will not waste any of it and use it to, you know, bring us more into his likeness and bring us closer to him. I think the choice that you faced running away or, or drawing close, my form of running away was to perform for God at first. Mm. Like after that first one, I thought, okay, if I can show him, which is, this is exactly how I approached (laughs) all pain prior to this. Um, so we will definitely play out with God, what we play out with other people. Mm -hmm. And, and it was so clear to me in this, in this situation, because after my first one, I kind of caught myself, like if I can show him that I've learned my lesson, if I can be really mature with my grief and all these silly things, you know, but what it did is it kept me from 
being really vulnerable and honest mm-hmm. with God and, yeah. and doing just what you did and looking to the sky and saying, what is going on? <laughs> what, what is this about? What do you have for me in this? And I, I think it's uh, chapter seven of the book where I get really honest at the end of just my raw questions, my raw feelings, my fears, and my hope in, in putting those in print which wasn't easy, was that if anybody else was kind of keeping a question or a comment um, or a feeling protected from God for fear of what it might sound like or, you know, that he can't handle it, that that would give, you know, offer them some freedom and courage to just speak those to God. He wants them. And, you know, inviting him into those places that we've been taught to keep the doors closed on. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, like, really also looking at, um, like, I love what you said about just God's character and how you really Mm -hmm. got to know his character. Because I felt the same way. And yeah, there's just this misconception in society by Christians and non Christians. that It's like, well, if there's a God, then like, why does bad things happen? Yes. Like, why do bad things happen in, in the world? And it's not, yeah, it's not that God's up there like, let me send all these fire bolts of grief down there. Like, no, that's not what's happening. But um, what really comforted me was looking at the way Jesus grieved mm. in in his time on earth and um, both in the death of his friend Lazarus, like how yes. he sat in the, in grief with his friends, even though... He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, yet he's still taking that time to to grieve and to grieve with his friends. And he's not trying to like be like, stop crying. I'm going to raise him from the dead. Like everybody Mm -hmm. can relax. Like, no, he, he let the moment breathe. But then the other time is really just looking at him in the garden of Gethsemane and how he is, he's, he's so grieved that he is quite literally you know like sweating blood and yeah and how intense his grief is and it's really interesting I was actually reading an article the other day um, that was kind of looking at that particular passage and the science behind it like there's actually like a scientific explanation as to what was potentially Mm. happening and at that moment is that if you are under it's physically possible that if you are under so much stress and you are your grief is overcome your stress is overcome and your your capillaries like your your like actually could burst and so like it is quite literally possible that he was under so much stress and so I mean he had the weight of the world the sin of the world on his back and he knew what he was about to face and like think about the stress that he was under like his blood was literally like bursting from him and so like if you sit there and you think about the grief that he was facing in that moment like he's God he's he's fully God but he also like he chose to be fully man as well so that he could come into our full human experience and and yeah. and feel grief with us and and then give us the gift of the example of allowing yourself the ability to grieve but then what did he do in that grief he turned to his father mm-hmm. he prayed he prayed and he mm-hmm. took that to, to him. And so um, that was really comforting to me. And that was really where I really began to kind of see God's character. And mm-hmm. as you're walking through seasons like that. 
Yeah. And how blessed are we to serve a God that we know has been, has experienced our human experience. Yes. And I love that Lazarus story. It's so particularly, I think there's other pain that, that is like this as well. But just since you and I have had some similar experiences with miscarriage, I don't know if you heard this a lot. One thing that people told me, particularly since since I think mine were a little earlier on than yours, but oh, it's so common. It's so common. Mm. Um, yeah. And which I, I personally found very unhelpful. Yes. Um, Girl, but, I could write a whole blog post with all the things. I'm like, here are some things you should not tell exactly. someone. Okay. So you, yeah. you have, you've had some of these comments as oh, well. Yeah. And you know, as common as pain is, it's still not normal. No. There's a there's a difference between something happening a lot and being normal. And I love that uh, we get to see Jesus's grief over Lazarus again, like you said, you know, fully knowing it was going to be okay. Right. But just that pause of this is not the way it is supposed to be. Right. And how we sell ourselves and others short when we try and talk each other out of our grief or explain it away and how profoundly unhelpful and disconnecting that is. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, yeah. When we try, you know, I actually read, um, there's another, and this was like a New York times article that somebody had shared, but it was like the way that we as humans just typically initially react to grief is, you know, again, usually trying to explain it away or we try to, you know, make comments that are like, oh, well, that person's always with you. Like their presence is always with you. Or like um, Mm -hmm. we try to then center ourselves and we say like, oh, but I, you know, I, I didn't lose my mom, but one time I lost my dog and like, you know what I think is like, like these things are not helpful. Um, (laughs) Like I, like I have lost my mom. Like I lost my mom in high school. And like, let me Mm -hmm. tell you, like, I love my dogs. The the passing of my dogs does not compare to the passing of my dogs. It will not be the same. (laughs) It's not the same. It's not the same. And so, you know, and, and so I was like, a lot of times it's just the most helpful thing you can do is actually just kind of sit there with that person in their grief. And actually, you know what? Sorry, this just occurred to me um, as we're saying you're talking about this. The perfect example of what to do in someone's grief can be explained through a children's book. And the book yeah. is actually this book called The Rabbit Listened. And you're going to all go and buy it right now. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, but <laughs> it's, a, awesome. it's a book that my uh, my son has. And it's called The Rabbit Listened. And it's by, I'm looking at it. It's Corey, C-O-R-I, Dorfeld, D-O-E-R-R-F-E-L-D. And I'll mm. just give you the quick little like summary of this book. So there's a little kid and a uh, little, little kid named Taylor. And Taylor's building a... Uh, like a big tower, big castle made of blocks. And it's this massive, massive construction, you know, like constructive thing. And it crashes down. And Taylor is extremely upset about the fact that this massive like castle block thing got built and then got knocked down. And so throughout the book, like all these different animals come and offer solutions. And so like the, like, I think there's like a bear that's like, ah, just get really mad. And like, then there's like a chicken that comes along and is like, oh, well, like, we'll just, we'll go knock down somebody else's because it'll make us feel better. Or like, 
um, you know, so all these animals come along and offer all these different solutions and Taylor is not having it. <laughs> and at the end, this like sweet, cuddly little rabbit comes up, like nuzzles up to Taylor and just sits there. And then Taylor eventually starts to talk about all the different like goes through the stages of grief where it's like, oh, my, my, my tower got knocked down. And um, but I, you know, I want to go smash somebody else's tower. Or, like I want to just cry about it. I want to get angry, all these kinds of things. And then eventually, like Taylor just feels better. And then Taylor and the rabbit rebuild it together at the end. Uh. And it's like, it's just sweet. It's a very, I mean, it's a children's book, but it's a sweet picture about what like empathy looks like. Mm-hmm. It's not that mm-hmm. we have to fix it. We don't have to go in there and just like offer all the solutions. Sometimes just like sitting with someone in their grief and allowing yep. them to grieve and process and talk, showing them kindness, showing them love and true empathy. Like that's what people need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just ordered that book yeah. on Amazon. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. It's so cute. It's um, a really cute book. Yeah, it sounds great. And I think you're spot on and it feels so counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. I an analogy I use a lot is why would you go sit in a mud pit <laughs> with somebody? You know, our our tendency is to, you know, throw them a rope and a life raft and all these things that we think are going to quote unquote fix it when really the most helpful thing and slower is faster when it comes to this is just sitting with somebody. Right in the grief. Right. And so they know that they're not alone and not that you are incapacitated by it, right. but that you are there with them. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. I learned so much from kids books. Are you the same way? Oh, same. There's oh, so- my goodness. <laughs> now, there's some really I feel like bad I ones. I totally got a, a whole new understanding of the Bible when I started reading the Jesus story storybook Bible to my son. Yes. <laughs> like- yes. My husband and I said the exact same thing. It's our favorite kids Bible. It, yes. Amen. Preach. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's the point of that story. I, <laughs> it just helps us, you know, uh, get down to the basics that we all need Yeah, and, and really pulls out the most meaningful truth. So I am a huge children's book fan. Yes. Yes. Actually, funny enough that you say that because, um, I, so I've been taking just some online seminary classes. Um, oh, great. This is the first time I'm actually sharing this like publicly other than my husband knowing that. Um, it's not, I'm, I'm not, honored. I'm not in <laughs> seminary. I'm just taking some seminary classes online and one of the classes that I took like the the professor shared that like when he is preparing a sermon he actually rehearses it for his kids first Mm. and he wants to make sure that he is explaining things in a way that his kids can understand because if his kids can understand it then adults can understand it um but I loved that I was like that is that's a good nugget like I'm taking that um and I think the Jesus storybook bible is a great example of that and I mean don't get me wrong like there's some real bad children's books out there but there's also just like there's just sometimes when we we put stories or we explain things in a way that is on a child's level like it just it speaks to that inner child within each of us (laughs) absolutely 
Okay, Nicole, I could literally sit here and talk to you all day. You're so fun. Same, uh, same. <laughs> and clearly we were supposed to um, have our conversation this day because it's just been, it's been so amazing. And thank you for kind of like, I didn't, I had no plans to like sit here and actually like also unload my heart as well. Mm-hmm. I'm um, so glad you did. But you really, uh, your book is fantastic. Um, it's so, I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there for the listeners. Go get Nicole's book from Lost to Found. Nicole Zaz- Zowski, Z-A-S-O-W-S-K-I. Um, go buy her book. on. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, basically wherever books are sold. Buy it, review it, share it, all the things. Um, Nicole, before we go, it's my favorite part of the show. And that's where we get to just ask some fun, lighthearted, get to know you questions. Are you cool with that? Yay. All yes. right. Cool. All right. So question number one is what part of a kid's movie completely scarred you? (laughs) (laughs) Everyone has that movie. (laughs) Yes. Um, Gosh, that's such a good question. I think the one that comes to mind is when I watched The Little Little Mermaid, you know, when I was probably four. Yeah. um, You know, I, I hated that ending. I was so, still am, so incredibly attached to my dad. And I was like, why, why would she do that? Why would she leave the ocean and never see her dad again and marry some dude like, that she barely knows? Yeah. Also, she's like 16. Yes. I, I mean, come on. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah, so I, I distinctly remember like wandering into my dad's study where my parents were talking and just sobbing like this is. <laughs> this just just does not sit well with me and That's am hilarious. I gonna have to do that someday leave you <laughs> this is hysterical. Um, yeah another hilarious one is the uh I went to a private Christian school um k through 12 school and I came home from first grade which is actually the first I was homeschooled for kindergarten and I came home and I said mom I was hysterical mom I watched an inappropriate movie at school and she's thinking okay how bad could it have been you're six and you go to this christian school and i know they have some standards about what they show and i was just sobbing uncontrollably and apparently it was the best christmas pageant ever and (laughs) i was so upset i was they were disrespectful to Jesus oh because my. they were like ripping the baby to shreds, you know, <laughs> they were fine. Um, so apparently I was quite traumatized by that one oh, as well, but I, I don't goodness. remember that. That's so funny. I love it. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. Question number two, what is something you would do differently if you knew that no one was going to judge you? Goodness. I love that question. You know what, what's been on my heart is I feel like I am praying for more freedom when I speak, Mm. Um, you know, like speak in a formal setting, Um, like when I'm asked to give a talk, either therapy related or um, related to my book, like I just, I want to be more bold. And I feel like the performance and the fear of maybe judgment or offending people is maybe holding me back. Uh, And I, I would like more boldness there. Mm, That's good. That's good. I like that. That went deep. I like it. Yeah. So it's just for fun questions, right? (laughs) I like it. I like it. I like it when things go deep. Okay. Question number three. What is something that I would never guess about you? 
Oh, never guess about me. That's a great question. I like to drive really fast. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would not. I would not guess that. Yeah, I think most people. I, I'm a pretty responsible looking, you know, feeling person. I think most people's experience of me is that I'm pretty buttoned up and responsible. But I think if I wasn't a therapist, it'd be really fun to be a race car driver. I love to drive fast. <laughs> that is really funny. Have you had a lot of speeding tickets? <laughs> Surprisingly, no. Oh, um, you're careful about it. I'm careful about it. I'm smart about it. Um, <laughs> but this is still an issue. I love it. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Um, okay. And then my last question is the question I ask all my guests. And that is, what does it mean to you, Nicole, to run a business with purpose? Mm, I'm sure this is a fairly common answer, but I think obedience in the moment. And my career has taken a lot of different turns in the last 10 years. It's looked different than how I thought it would in some ways. Mm -hmm. But I think as long as I am keeping my ear to what God has for me in a given season, and that what I am doing is congruent with what he is calling me to do, I think sometimes we as women I like the idea of balance, but I think we can get over-focused on it, and it produces a lot of pressure to feel like we have perfect balance in all these areas of our lives. And for me, I think when I, I prefer the concept of congruence mm -hmm. is what I'm doing is how I'm spending my time congruent with what I feel like God is calling me to do in this season and that seasonal dreaming <laughs> piece gives me a lot of freedom because it might look different than last season or next season. But for now, this is what I feel like obedience looks like. And as long as I'm continuing to ask that question, I feel like having a business with purpose is the natural fruit of that. Mm, that's so good. That's so good. And no, that has not really been a common answer. So I really appreciate that. Um, <laughs> Nicole, this really has been a joy, a, a treat, a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for your transparency and your honesty and um, for the work that you're doing. And people go buy her book and I will have all of the links and how to get in contact with Nicole and connect with her on social media um, in the show notes. And thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Molly. This was a privilege and a uh, a pleasure to talk with you. I would love to know what you loved about this episode or something that you learned. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you are a regular listener of the show, thank you for tuning in week in and week out and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, basically wherever you listen to podcasts and click that subscribe button. By clicking that button, it helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you are there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. This show is produced by Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose. Purpose.